It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Episode 58 of Boston Loose Baseball. We are back alongside Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. We are ready to talk about the schedule ahead for the Nationals. We'll take a quick dive into some of the team's top prospects as well. All coming up on this episode, which starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. He's Toby. I'm Grant. We are happy to be with you. Toby, you are out and about. You are on the road, but making some time for us as you're on a little vacation trip this summer. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm out in uh, Wisconsin, so I'm going to catch a Brewers game at some point while I'm out here. I think Friday I'm going down to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field for the first time, so pretty excited about that. You even went to some Indy League baseball already. Is this a baseball trip, or are you just crowbarring as much of it in as you can? No, just seeing some uh, friends and going to a couple weddings, but hitting baseball along the way can't you know leave that out. you got to enjoy your time at least. So you, you take the trip. I will say when you're going away for weddings, it's tough because you're flying, but yet you got the suit bag. So do you have to re-iron and do all that stuff when you get there? Did you travel with it hanging in the airplane? What'd you do? See, these are pretty relaxed weddings, so you can go jeans or khakis and a polo, thankfully. Oh, so. for a wedding? Yeah, nice and relaxed. That's a Midwest thing, I guess. I haven't been to any of those. <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoy it. So I don't have to bring a suit or anything, so it's been good. Well, that's even better. All right, so independent league baseball. What, what report can you give us? Where'd you go? What was your experience like? It was called the US PBL. It's somewhere in Michigan, somewhere north of Detroit, and they played two six-inning games. It was a little doubleheader Saturday, I guess it was, and it was fun. I mean, I learned that I cannot throw a baseball very hard. I throw like a football, so I grew up throwing footballs. I cannot throw a baseball very hard at all. So that's one thing I learned, but it was fun. You, I guess. you did the thing I'm guessing where you threw and they clock you and tell you what your velo is. Yeah. And yeah. you touched 90 only once, right? Uh, only once, only once I was sitting mid eighties. Okay. That'll do. 
But you, uh, you and Paolo Espino both, don't worry. <laughs> but I guess Joey Weimer was in this league at one point or another, Randy Dobnek of the Twins. So pretty cool to see some of these guys, and hopefully they can get their careers off the ground and get into the majors at some point. I like Indie League Baseball. Did we eat anything at the ballpark? There were a ton of food options. I had been craving hot dogs all day, so got some hot dogs, got a walking taco, I wish they would have had soft serve ice cream. That was the one thing that I was dying for. They didn't have, I didn't settle for Dippin' Dots. One, the line was too long, and I'm not a Dippin' Dots guy. Well, then you fit in well on this podcast. Overrated. <laughs> Overrated. I mean, look, you can't call something the, you know, the blank of the future for 30 years. Like, if it hasn't happened, it's just not going to take hold. They've been yeah. calling Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future since 2002 or whatever it's not happening okay and they have a stranglehold on small league baseball they do that's true but ice cream is the ice cream of the future because it is so good but uh well safe travels we'll get you back into dc here soon enough and get you back to nats park but in the meantime let's talk about the nationals 26 and 38 the losses were stockpiling they did avoid a sweep at the hands of the atlanta braves on sunday which was much needed We are recording this podcast on Tuesday morning as they get ready for their road series in Houston against the Astros. I want to revisit, you know, the World Series trip I took out there at one point. But losers of seven of ten now, uh, they are 13 back in the division, seven back in the wild card. A regression has kind of taken place, if you look at run differential and record here recently, where there was a a several-week stretch where they went almost six, seven weeks, it felt like where, you know, they were playing 500 ball and their run margin was basically even. Uh, And they came crashing back down to earth a little bit here. Uh, Just didn't perform to the level over the last couple of weeks that they had previously. Any signs for concern for you? Um, I mean, we're still concerned about the bullpen. I mean, and that's been the case for, I would say, what, the last month or so where the bullpen just continues to struggle. But they're in these baseball games. And... Again, as crazy as that sound, as you're trying to just, you know, look for moral victories and you're looking for little wins this season, they're competitive. Even though they've lost a lot of these games, they're competitive. You look at the Brave series, they're competitive in most of those games. They win one of those games, but they're competitive. And you couldn't always say that last season. So as much as it's frustrating to see them lose, you know, you have a lead in game one of the Brave series, you blow it because of the bullpen, you win the third game of the series. So it felt good to see them at least compete with the Braves. You'd love to see them win. Maybe a little frustrating that JoJo hasn't been able to have a really good start in a while, it seems like. Another one where it's solid outing, but he's just battling the whole time. Mackenzie Gore, I think at some point he was due for an outing like this, especially having now seen the Braves a couple of times, so they're a little more accustomed to him. I think we'll see maybe a couple more of these outings when teams – that are going to see him for the second or third time, get to kind of understand what his stuff is. But I think he's going to get it figured out again. I think overall the encouraging sign is that the team is playing competitive baseball, but frustrating they're not able to win some of these ball games. Yeah, and to your point, you know, they were in L.A. and they lost the first two games of that series. And what I can't have is, you know, you lose 9-3 to and you're just not in the ball game, so to speak, to the Dodgers at one point. But the first two games of that series – you know, it's an 0 and 2, and, and you're it's a 15 to 4 run differential. They come back, they, they, we talked about it on the pod. They got all the home runs from the kids. Garcia went deep, and Abrams hit a couple, and or Ruiz hit a couple, rather, and Abrams hit one, and they scored 10 runs, and they beat the Dodgers on the final day of May. 
Then they take on the Phillies, and they win an 8-7 game that was really entertaining. They lost a close game, nip and tuck to Philadelphia by a couple runs. But then you lose the 11-3 game to Philadelphia on Sunday a week ago. You know, that stings. The Diamondbacks seem like a buzzsaw right now. Corbin Carroll's on his way, it would appear, to the NL Rookie of the Year. They come into Nats Park. They hang 10 on the Nats in the first game of the series. Then they handled them 6-2. to two. And then luckily, because of the, the terrible air that we were dealing with, you know, there was no third game of that series. So they dropped two in a row there. That's four out of five. And then the Braves series begins, and you lose back-to-back. But to your credit and to your point, I mean, those Braves games were competitive. It was a 3-2 loss, a 6-4 loss. You're in those games. But now it's six out of seven before you're able to you know, beat Atlanta 6-2. to two. So you turn the page to the Astros. You hope to kind of get your footing. They're coming back to Nats Park after that to take on the Marlins, who have been really good, who are pitching well. Then the Cardinals are in town before they're back out west to take on the Diamondbacks. I should say they, they have the makeup against the Diamondbacks. Then they're back out west to take on the Padres and the Mariners. So the schedule doesn't really lighten up here. I mean, this is a really aggressive, difficult portion of their schedule in terms of playing contenders. The Astros will be a playoff team. The Marlins look like a playoff team. I know the Cardinals right now are a bottom feeder in the Central, but if you let me make a bet on the Cardinals to win the division right now in a bad division, I might do that. Uh, San Diego, I still think, is a playoff team. I picked the Mariners to get to the World Series. Doesn't look great right now, but I could definitely see them getting into the playoffs. You know, all coming up here on their schedule. So uh, it just it doesn't let up here as, as they need to really start, I would say more than anything else, hitting the ball again and driving the baseball. Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult stretch. This whole month, like you said, you laid out all the teams, and even the teams that have bad records, you thought were going to be good baseball teams this year, and maybe they look at the Nationals as a way to – springboard their season into the right direction so hopefully they can get it together but I think it's a you know it's a multitude of things you need the starting pitching to give you a little bit more length you think of Jojo you think of Mackenzie Gore you think of some of these guys even Trevor Williams a solid outing you'd like to see him go maybe a little bit longer but overall I think it's just maybe one facet of the game is just leaving them it seems like every night whether it's the bats don't show up whether it's the starting pitching struggling the bullpen struggled so if they can just put some of this stuff back together like we saw a little bit earlier in the season, again, I think maybe what happened was they had a good hot stretch and we kind of got our expectations up and maybe this is a little bit more of who they really are. But, you know, good for them for at least giving us a little bit of hope that this team can be more competitive and can win baseball games. So who's hot and who's not? We'll start at the plate here. I want to use a two-week sample. I think that's enough to kind of get your bearings for something legitimate in terms of sample size. So we're going to go over the last 15 days, which even still for the nationals with days off and things is only right around 10 baseball games, weirdly enough. Uh, But so this is the last 10 games. The team has played. Obviously not everyone has played in all 10, but as far as who's hot, Joey Manessis in his last 10 games is 14 for 37 at the plate. That's a 378 batting average with a 925 OPS. So I know that most of the year we've been a little frustrated by the fact that it's a lot of singles. It's a lot of, you know, weaker contact compared to last year when he was driving the baseball so well, but a 925 ops is all-star caliber and pretty elite here over the last two weeks. In fact, if you look at the last 30 games, 30 games, a month of baseball, I guess, you know, six of the season, so to speak, Joey Manessis is hitting 350. Now he's only got one homer in that time, but his OPS is up near 900, you know, way up over 875 or so. So uh, he he is getting on base. He is hitting more doubles, which has helped the slug and the OPS overall. 
for the season, his average is up to almost 310 at this point. I mean, it's hard to be frustrated anymore by the, yeah, the OPS is only 750. And like, if you're, you're batting 307 in today's baseball, you know, you would think your OPS will be much closer or over 800. That's not the case. But how much more can you ask for a 31-year-old who didn't get to the big leagues before last year, who hit about 325 and everyone kind of said, there's no way he'll repeat last season. And obviously the power is way down, 930 OPS last year. But the guy's hitting 310 and over 30 game samples hitting 350. And he's been by far their best player at the plate over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I have a couple of questions with Joey Manessis. One, if this guy could hit 300 at the major league level, why was he in the minors for so long? I understand, you know, he's not been able to repeat what he did last season where he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark and really was playing like at an MVP type caliber for that little stretch that he played with the Nationals last year. But why did it take him so long to get to the big leagues? And now you look at him and where did the power go? And I understand he's gotten some more extra base hits over the last couple of weeks and you know, that OPS over the last two weeks doesn't look too, too bad. But overall, this season, it just seemed like he's been a very singles-oriented hitter, which isn't a bad thing. You know, he's getting on base. He's hitting the ball. So, like you said, his batting average is very high up there in the 300s, which there really aren't many Nationals even close to that. So, good for him. But I'd love to see some of that power return because he was supposed to be the power in this lineup. You know, we've talked about Dominic Smith before, and it was awesome to see him hit a home run for what seems like the first time in forever in the Atlanta series. But someone has to provide the power. And we talked with Dom Smith, and he's not really a power guy, but you expected him to maybe be. Joey Manessis was really your big power threat in this lineup, and it just hasn't come through. It's good to see him hitting the ball. It's good to see him getting a little more extra base hits in here. So I think he can still find some of that because, you know, a 300 hitter, you'll take that. But you'd love to see maybe even just – lower the batting average just a little bit and give us a little bit more power. So I think that he's got it in him still. I don't know if it's – we've talked about this with Trey Turner, with the the World Baseball Classic kind of throw you off a little bit. I don't know if it maybe threw off some of his power stroke because he struggled early, but we'll see. I think that he can still bring some of that power back to the Nats lineup at some point this season. Yeah, there's going to be a week, I would think, where he hits three or four home runs over seven or eight days or something, and that'll get him back to a pace where maybe he hits – you know, 14 or 15 this year, if I had to guess. But coming into the year, I think the hope was, you know, like you said, they're going to be light on power as a team. So if Manessis could hit you 20, you know, I think people mislabeled Dom Smith, frankly, because he's a first baseman. He's never hit for power. I remember covering him in his draft. Uh, the, the talk was that he's this exceptional athlete, terrific defensive first baseman, which is a profile at a high school you rarely see drafted in the first round, let alone the top 15. But like he's a 10 to 12 home run guy, maybe. But the problem is he's not on pace for that either, right? I mean, he's got two home runs. Manessis has two home runs. And to collectively, you kind of hoped maybe those two guys could hit, I don't know, upwards of 30 or 35 home runs. And they're on pace right now for 12 to 15 or something. So therein lies part of the problem with the lack of power. But I do just want to acknowledge that the at-bats are good. Manessis is, I mean, I would have taken well under the batting average that he has right now. And frankly, I would have probably taken maybe around the OPS he has, but I I just think it's still a a really good story to see what this guy has done in his two seasons, to your point, after never having gotten a shot. Uh, Another player to call attention to, last 10 games for the Nats, and he's played in all 10 of them, is Luis Garcia. 13 for 42 at the plate. That's a 310 average. He's hit two home runs over the last 
10 games for the club, which is tied for second behind only uh, Kbert Ruiz during that time. He's slugging 500. I mean, it's a lot of extra base hits. He's not drawing any walks, so the on-base percentage, frankly, is not high. But an 800 OPS will work at second base. I mean, that that's going to play for him. He's obviously been really good for the majority of this season defensively. So his average right now is up to 276. His ops is on the right side of 700 for the first time in a while. Some encouraging signs here for Luis Garcia, who went four for 11 in that Brave series and drove in a couple runs. I've been very encouraged with what I've seen from Luis Garcia this season. He's been so much better at the plate in terms of approach. He's not striking out as much. And just his whole season has been a really big bounce back for him. After last year, you had the defensive issues and he seemed to be much better defensively. And then at the plate, I just love the way that he's going about things. And I think that he's someone that you can depend on going forward as a bat, whether you want him to stick at second base or not and try to play that position, which I think he's done okay. I don't know that it's he's maybe come back a little bit. Sometimes his throws are a little bit wacky. But I think overall, when you look at what he's been able to do at the plate, you can look at him going forward as a part of this baseball team. And you're right. I mean, I, I think that his power, I think he can still tap into. He's lowered the strikeout percentage. You maybe like to see him walk a little bit more, but that's not really his game. This is a guy that was a free swinger last year, struck out a lot. Now he's kind of tamed that down a little bit. I've been really encouraged with what we've seen from Luis Garcia this last couple weeks and especially this season. I'm with you. I mean, the strikeout rate specifically, which you highlighted. But if you look at, you know, last year, he, he walked 11 times all season. He just he didn't walk. I mean, that was in 360 at-bats. He's only walked 13 times this year. He still doesn't walk, but in 225 at-bats. So still, you know, 130-some ABs away from where he was last year, and he's got more walks. Um, the strikeout rate, only 31 Ks for Luis Garcia uh, to, to go with the 13 walks is down. Now he's hitting basically the exact same batting average, the exact same OPS as a year ago. He gets there differently. His on-base is a tick up. His slug is down, way fewer doubles. Uh, I think he's going to hit more home runs this year than he did last year. He's already got five, hit seven in, in basically 36 uh, more games. He had two more home runs last year, but a lot more doubles, interestingly. So we'll see at the end of the year, you know, where the fader went up and down on him. But I'll be curious to see if, if you know, there was clearly a correction where they wanted him to make more contact, swing and miss a little less, maybe have better at bats. You know, is, is there a middle ground where it's okay to strike out a little bit more and, and deliver more of that power. Cause he, we saw it early in his career to hit the ball into the second deck or, or close to it at Nats park. Uh, I'll be curious to see like where they ultimately decide they want him to be offensively, but he's only 23 and he's become a bat to ball guy and, and a tough out, frankly. Uh, and, and that's a really, really encouraging good thing. Uh, other players in this who's hot column. So only seven games played in the Nats last 10 games, but K Barrett Ruiz is eight for his last 26 with five runs scored. Uh, he's hitting 308 with a 1071 OPS during that time. And I believe that catches that two homer game that I referenced uh, against the Dodgers. He's got seven home runs on the season. You know, it's interesting. His batting average is only 235. And he is notoriously for a couple of years now been one of these guys where the expected batting average is way higher than the average. And you wonder when that gets corrected or, or if that's just going to be something there's something about how he operates that leads to that. I, I got to do more digging on that. But having said that, his average down about 15 points from last year. His OPS is actually up. 
the slug is up. He's hitting a lot more home runs. Last year in 112 games, he hit seven homers. He's done that in 52 games this year. Uh, that's a very good sign. His strikeouts are way down. And the most incredible thing about Kbert, his 15 walks and 17 strikeouts. Like, there is like 2% of big leaguers. I'm just throwing a number out, but it's something like that. You know, some minute number of players have the same number of walks and strikeouts. And he's one of those guys through 200 at bats. It's really incredible. It's really odd how his expected batting average is always so high and his batting average in general, his real batting average is not anywhere close to it. To your point with the expected batting average this year, it's 289 and that's in the top 9% of the league. And yet he's batting 235. So I don't know what the disconnect is there, but obviously the analytics really like him and like his swing. And hopefully at some point we can see that turn into results on the actual baseball field. But it was good to see him tap into that power a little bit in the Dodgers series. I'm a little concerned with him behind the plate at this point. I think throwing out some runners is a little concerning to me. But overall at the plate, I'm encouraged by what he's done. And he's someone that's going to be with the Nationals for a long time. He's never going to be an MVP type bat. You know, the, the hard part was when he's coming up through the minor league system, he, it's one and two in terms of catchers with him and Adley Rutschman. And you look at what's going on with Adley Rutschman. It's like, what happened to Kaber? Well, Kaber was never that guy. You know, he he's a good player. And I th think he's going to be a solid bat for this organization for a long time. You'd like to see him hit for some more home runs, especially from the right side. But I think he's still figuring it out. I think he'll get to that point at some point. And the, the main thing for me that's concerning is the fact that so many guys are stealing on him. And it seems like teams are really taking advantage of that now. So at some point, you'd like to see him work on his throwing arm from behind the plate. But overall, I've been encouraged by what I've seen from Kaber. Yeah, via baseball savant numbers, and I always issue the cautionary tale that I think defensive metrics are, you know, org to org. Every team does their own numbers. Uh, there's no great way. It's not like offense where you can grade everything out based on, you know, one set of numbers. But I, I just like the information. Uh, they've got Ruiz as fourth percentile in pop time. And... I would think that is authentic. Like there's only so many ways to measure. You're measuring a pop time, which is, you know, from the ball hitting the mid to, to getting the ball down to second base, you know, 96 out of every 100 catchers are doing it faster than him. And you add that, as you said, to some of the stolen base numbers, not ideal. I think framing numbers uh, give and take a little more. Like I'm not as convinced that everyone's framing metrics are great. They've got him 13th percentile at baseball savant. So yeah, some of the catching stuff to your point this year, is maybe not where you'd like it to be. Um, not enough sample anywhere else, really, to, to say anybody else is hot. I will give Stone Garrett some credit. Uh, he doesn't get to play a lot in his last nine games. He's four for 12 at the plate with a couple of homers, including a grand slam that he hit in the first inning against Arizona. Uh, offensively, though, and here's been the problem. Dominic Smith has completely cooled off. He's six for his last 37, hitting 162. Jamer Candelario, at some point, you knew this was going to happen because he was hitting like 500 for four weeks or whatever it was. Uh, he's six for his last 32. That's a 188 batting average. Uh, CJ Abrams is four for his last 31 at the plate with just one extra base hit. That's a 129 average. And over the last 10 games, he's played eight of them. That's a 414 OPS. I mean, a real rough stretch here for Abrams, who's got no walks and seven strikeouts in those 31 at bats. Lane Thomas, who was carrying the team for the majority of May, he was one of the best players in the National League in the month of May. Uh, he's 10 for his last 41. Not awful, but, you know, 244 average when you had been hitting around 300. OPS is now dipped down to 718 when he was up 
closer to 850, 860 at one point. Um, he's got, you know, just one home run now over the last couple of weeks. He had been crushing the ball throughout May. So he's crashed back down to earth. I think some of those things have led to this offense you know, shriveling back up a little bit. Well, and Jamer Candelario is interesting. You mentioned him. He had a hot stretch early. He played really well early. And then he already had a down stretch. And then he got hot again, like scorching hot. And he's going through another down stretch again. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. CJ's a little concerning. You'd like to see him be a little more consistent. I mean, it's so tough with CJ Abrams right now because you have to balance the He's going through the big leagues for really the first whole season where he's kind of learning everything. He's still super young, but at the same point, he's at the major league level, so you need to see him produce. So it's interesting with all these guys. Lane Thomas, I don't think I'm all that worried about him. I mean, he was so hot during the month of May. I think, you know, gets back down to maybe a little more of what we've seen from Lane Thomas. But I think the big thing for Lane is he's had extended down stretches as well as some really good hot stretches, but more so the down stretches get pretty bad at times. And I'm hoping that with what he was talking about at the beginning of the month of May, where some of the home runs started to return and he started to get things going, I'm hoping maybe they found an approach with him that allows him to be more consistent overall and still have those hot streaks, but maybe not the extended down streaks. So I'm interested to see there. And Dominic Smith, like you mentioned, it's tough with him because if he's not getting singles – his defense is good, no doubt about it, but at some point, it's not like he's playing shortstop. It's not like he's playing center field. Like You need a guy at first base to do something. It was it, cool to see him hit a home run 444 feet. And you're like, if you've got that in there, how do you not hit more? But it, it it's tough with Dominic Smith. If he's not getting singles and just getting on base, period, then it's really tough to keep him in the lineup. Yeah, so I guess on the veterans first, <clears throat> I think it's going to be tough to get much for Dom Smith, you know, unless someone really just wants a, you know, needs a massive defensive upgrade at first base. There's just not a lot of value there. Uh, but I do think Lane Thomas on the trade block and in a light year, because there's not a lot that's going to be available. It doesn't seem like, and especially in the outfield market, I think you could do okay on a return for him. You're not getting a top prospect for any of your guys. Obviously you knew that coming into the season, but I think you could get a, a decent, you know, mid-level type player, um, for Lane Thomas, perhaps if, if he's hitting well. And, and by that, I mean like somebody's 15th, 18th best prospect, you know, like they did the year where they got a bunch of, you know, the Riley Adams types from teams. So I, I think you could add to your system if you moved him. I would look to add a couple of young arms. That's what always what I would try to do is like, you know, find a ball arms with high strikeout rates and firm velocities that you like and and see if you can, you know, get a, a lottery ticket on one of those guys. Uh, I do think Jamer Candelaria would have value as well. Um, again, you're not going to break the bank. You're not going to do much. I think Thomas probably has the most value of the vets, but he's a guy that I would be interested in flipping and seeing what I could get. Manessis, same kind of deal. Maybe a team, you know, likes the fact that he's hitting for average. They need a DH. I think of a team like the Texas Rangers who are awesome offensively, but don't have a DH. Then you slot another 300 hitter into that lineup. That's already one of the best in baseball. You know, maybe you think in the, the summer heat out there, he starts driving the ball a little more. Uh, in some of their West Coast trips. I'm, I'm not sure what the logic would be, but you know, I think you could try to flip a couple of those veterans based on some of the seasons that they're having. Uh, Smith, I'm, I'm not so sure about. But Abrams is kind of who I want to talk about because he matters more to this org. You know, His OPS is up 45 points from last year, so that is encouraging. His power is way up. I mean, he played 90 games and had almost 300 bats where he hit just two homers last year, and that was really discouraging to me. And he's on a pace basically now 
uh, if he played in 162 games this year where he might hit close to 20 home runs. I, I think it would be upwards of 17, 18 homers. Like if you got him to a point where he's an 18 homer, 70 some RBI, you know, 25 steel guy who played good defense at short, that's an excellent player on a first division team. And I think that that is very possible. I think we're seeing the starter kit for that. Um, but the defense has obviously been abysmal largely. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I can't say I'm not concerned, but I'm, I don't think this is what it's going to be. I, I think this is all part of the process, but he's the worst at his position in terms of outs versus average. Um, if you look at arm strength, he grades out in the 45th percentile there, even though, you know, we've always heard and thought he has a really good arm. Um, offensively, there's a couple of things that, that I'd like to see him do better as this year goes along, obviously hitting where he is right now at 225 isn't probably good enough. I don't care a ton about batting average, but if you're hitting 220, I need it to, to come with some pop uh, that he doesn't necessarily have. But, you know, look, six home runs is, is a good number, I think, for him right now. He should have more than nine doubles. Like with his speed, anything that's not directly at an outfielder, it should be a threat to be a double. Uh, to only have nine right now is pretty stunning. And most of his have been kind of laced down the line into the corner. Uh, he's got two triples. You know, to me, I'd like to see 15, 17 doubles right now you know, four or five triples. And even if he only had five or six home runs, now your slug is well over 400. Your OPS is up over 700. It's a very different season. On top of that, he's been pretty much a Deadpool hitter for the most part. Like if you look at his spray chart, he has three doubles that have been kind of tucked right down the, the left field line as a left-handed hitter. But otherwise, into the outfield. So this is non-infield hits, you know, either bunts or, or slap hits into the infield where fielders couldn't come on and make a play. There's been basically like three hits into the outfield left of center for him this year, like true hits to left field. Uh, there have been a couple dead center, including all the way to the fence, you know, for a, a double off the wall. But it's mostly in all of his power, especially is pull side right. And I expect that for the home runs. But I, I just think, you know, if he could get to a point where he's spraying the ball a little better, he's hitting the ball where it's coming from to center field, the approach. You know, when you got pitches on the outside corner, you're just serving them into left there's no reason he can't do some of that stuff. And I don't think that's a huge ask for a guy with his skill set. So I want to point out something because I, I think it was interesting. Just curiosity allowed me to look this up and it really opened my eyes a little bit. He's now played 148 games at the major league level. How many games do you think he played the minors? Oh, it's less than that. Uh, he played, I'll say a hundred. Yeah. 114 for context. Brady House is going to play his 99th game the next time he takes the field. James Wood is going to play his 157th the next time he takes the field. C.J. Abrams is still really, in a lot of ways, a minor league type guy. He probably should still be, or at least last year should have still been playing in the minor leagues. This guy hasn't had a lot of time. So I, I agree with all of your points, and there's plenty to take away from there. But at the same point, you have to look at it from the other side and realize this guy's still young. You know, it's been discouraging seeing some of the things, but you're not meant to learn at the major league level. I think about your interview on Grant and Danny with Ryan Zimmerman before the season. He's like, you're not meant to learn at the major league level. And really, that's what C.J. Abrams is doing right now. And so the throwing arm is concerning. But if you want to look at the positive side, his range is incredible. And so hopefully if you can work on some of those things, you can get that fixed to see his power stroke improve a little bit. Yes, you'd like to see more average. Yes, you'd like to see more of the extra base hits like you were saying. 
but I think overall what you're seeing from CJ Abrams is growing pains and it's tough to watch at the major league level because you expect results. I mean, that's what this business is all about results, but he's developing. You hope that he can learn from the stuff that he's gone through these last two years and parlay it into a successful long big league career, especially with the nationals. But I guess we'll see, but again, 114 minor league baseball games compared to 148 now at the major league level. That's not something you see with a guy, unless it's a guy like that, that is just a transcendent talent and no offense to CJ, but we've seen so far that he's probably not that guy. You know, he's a good ball player, but he's probably not going to be, you know, some superstar that we can trade like a Juan Soto down the, down the line. Yeah, I mean, look, guys like Jared Kelnick happen too, to your point, where maybe they get there too soon and it takes a couple of years and, you know, they're just scuffling and trying to find their way and everyone essentially gives up on them. And and I'm not saying we're there with C.J. Abrams at all, for the record. I mean, he's so young. I always reference he was the eighth youngest player in baseball this year. But my point with Kelnick is Jared Kelnick's 23. Like, he was in the majors at 21, 22, and this year at 23. And everyone just kind of decided when he hit, you know, sub 200 his first couple seasons. Well, this guy stinks. And he did 21 homers at the big leagues as a 22 year old over two seasons. And now this year he's on a pace for, you know, well over 20 home runs. And he's got an OPS over 800. And he's, you know, been really good for the most part for the Mariners. So I just think we're in such a reactionary, like, give it to me right now. Everything in a microwave, nothing in a crockpot mode. Uh, and, and here in Washington, we've been spoiled. Bryce Harper came up as a teenager, killed it. Juan Soto came up as a teenager, unbelievable. Strasburg pitched like three hours in the minors after he was drafted, uh, pitched like a Cy Young when he got here. So I just think maybe we're a little out of whack with our expectations. And and while I, I provide all the context I did with Abrams and some of the disappointments of his season, uh, it does not mean I'm, I'm ready to give up at all. To, to clarify, I, I still think, you know, there's a lot of encouraging signs and, and he's going to be, a really important piece for them. One of the five guys they got back in that deal, and he and Gore already are showing to me that that trade was well worth it uh, with James Wood, who's just unbelievable in the minor leagues, So we talk about almost every week on the pod. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Speaking of Gore, flipping over to the pitching side, um, I don't want to go in as much detail on pitching, but just kind of a, a look at the season to this point. You know, he and Josiah Gray have both pitched three times. Gray's actually now kind of been more of a horse, uh, believe it or not. He's pitched more innings than Gore has, uh, 72 innings to 69, uh, just meaning he's getting a little deeper into some of the starts 
both of those guys, you know, Gray's been more of a five inning guy here recently. As you said, it's been a while since he really delivered a gem. But Gore, even though he's thrown some of those masterpiece, you know, that seven inning, 11 strikeout game with three hits against the Royals, he's also had some, you know, sub four inning games, a lot of pitches against the Angels and a couple of other teams. But they've they've thrown 13 starts. Gray's got an ERA at three on the nose. Could be the Nats all-star possibly. Gore's a run higher at 4.04. He's pitched with a little less luck. He's got a lot more strikeouts, 83 to the 61 of Josiah Gray. Uh, he's given up three more hits than Josiah Gray um, and six more, seven more earned runs. Gray has been lucky and, and at times really done a great job stranding runners on base, but uh, also a 237 average against for Josiah compared to 256 for Mackenzie Gore. A little surprising with his stuff being so much better that he's given up that much more in terms of base hits and average against. And uh, to Josiah Gray's credit, after the year last year where he gave up more home runs than anyone in baseball, you know, he's only given up eight this season, two of those to the first two batters of the year. So only six since his third batter of the season. Just by a comparison, you know, Gore's given up 11 bombs. Trevor Williams has given up 13. Patrick Corbin's given up 11. Yeah, I mean, ideally you look at this, and we talk about Josiah Gray giving up a lot of base runners, and – his whip is only 140 compared to a 139 from Mackenzie Gore. You'd like to see both of those numbers come down a little bit. It's been encouraging to see how Josiah Gray can battle through. And we talk about this all the time. You'd love to see a good outing from him once again, where he just looks kind of dominant, like we saw at times early in the season. But him being able to go out there, and every time it seems like he's struggling, and yet he gets out of there only giving up one run, two runs, at worst three runs over really the last month, month and a half, has been really encouraging because it means he's learning how to be a pitcher. He's learning how to work through struggles. And so you'd love to see the ups again. You'd love to see him really come out with his A stuff and go through an outing and pitch seven innings and only give up a run and kind of like what the the start that Gore had out in Kansas City. But it's been encouraging to see him battle through. With Mackenzie Gore, it seemed like at some point he was going to have an outing where he struggled because he gives up a lot of hits. He pitches around some base runners and some and some trouble. And, you know, take what you want with the Kansas City and say, well, he's facing the Royals, whatever the case may be. But you see the stuff. It's very encouraging to see him build upon different things, but you'd like to see him be a little more consistent. But again, this is a guy that's really kind of going through it for the first time, a full season for the first time. So you, you kind of take what you get with him. And maybe it's something that he's still kind of getting accustomed to the every fifth day at the major league level and learning all these guys, and maybe it's something that clicks in the second half, or maybe it's not even till next year. But I think overall, for Mackenzie Gore, we're talking about a guy that's learning, and he's barely got an ERA over four, and that's just because he had a struggle in his last outing. Overall, he's been sitting in the threes all season long for his ERA. So I think you see the potential every time he goes out there, and I don't know that there's anything really to worry about with Mackenzie Gore. Boston Loose Baseball, Toby Altizer and Grant Paulson with you. Nationals getting ready for their three-game series with the Astros as we tape this pod. So we're not going to make it overly timely. We know you guys get to the podcast uh, when you can. But I will just tell you that anytime they go back to Houston, I am overcome with memories and emotions from that World Series run. I was at all four of the games in Houston. All four of those were obviously Nationals wins uh, in the World Series. They won games one and two in Houston came back home for games three through five in D.C. and lost all three. And they were down 3-2 going back to Houston with Max Scherzer unable to pitch in game five because he had such bad back pain that he couldn't get out of bed and couldn't put his pants on without his wife's help. 
And then they went back for game six and with Scherzer and Strasburg on the mound uh, in those final two games. Obviously, they won both games and won the World Series. Uh, but, you know, just being in that clubhouse that night uh, as players kind of celebrated and sprayed each other with champagne and, and being a couple feet away from the trophy and getting to put my hand on it. Like memories, I'll, I'll remember forever. I, I was really, really lucky. I was doing uh, kind of as a traveling member of the radio broadcast, uh, the sideline, so to speak, post-game interviews for Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler and got to run out on the field, Toby, as the final out took place. Okay, so as the, the we're literally in the tunnel in the ninth inning, and because I've got to get the interview like post game right after the game that you see like at Nat Spark them doing with Heisty right now, um, I run out onto the field as the Nats are pouring out into the infield, and so I've still got a video on my cell phone of Ryan Zimmerman just starting to basically ball screaming every curse word you can imagine, <laughs> just like in shock, you know, with his hands on the side of his head just hugging teammates and I'm just a dummy three feet away from them, just recording everything. You know, when, when you watch these um, moments on Fox every year, you see like some random guy in the infield. You're like, why is he there? That was me for that moment. Uh, <laughs> so it was so cool and so great. And I'll just never forget it. Uh, but I think every time they go back to Houston, and I don't know when this will wear off. That's what I'll think about is that world series run. And it's basically just Patrick Corbin now who will have those memories on this 2023 Nationals team who's on the hill in game one of this series against Hunter Brown. But uh, what a time that was in 2019. Yeah, and it's so funny because you think of the World Series and you were dead on. They won all four games in Houston. And it's funny that you show up to Nationals Park and you don't have those same emotions because they didn't win a game in the World Series at Nationals Park. Maybe you think about the the wild card game. But outside of that, all the iconic memories from that postseason run were on the road you think of dodger stadium in the nlds you think of throwing those near no hitters out in st louis and then outside of the wild card game nothing was here so you think about going out to houston and how exciting it is because you can think about the soto homers you can think about obviously howie kendrick hitting one off the foul pole you can think about strass and his game six performance and all that's in houston and so it is kind of cool when they go back out to Minute Maid and you get to think about all these memories again because you just see the train tracks. Remember Soto hitting it up there and all the fun stuff that that went on. And honestly, I got on a little kick. Someone on my TikTok had put up highlights from the Brewers game when the wild card. And I was watching. I couldn't sleep when I was about to fly out here, Grant. So I, I was watching old highlights of all those games that were the clinchers. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And it just reminds you of what, really where this baseball team is now one, but also how awesome that 2019 run was. Oh man. The, the, the Soto hit against the Brewers. I remember being in the ball. I don't know if I've told this story on, on this show before. I've definitely told it on Grant and Danny. So I was in the ballpark. I was sitting, my buddy had an extra ticket. He had great seats to that game. I had normally been going with, you know, being on the, the radio and the flagship and doing some of the stuff for the radio broadcast. I could use a credential and go sit up in the press box, which is, Know, for people that don't know at Nats Park in the clouds and like the sixth level. So and it not a, I'm not complaining. I mean, it's a free seat. It's great access, but it's just way, way high up. So my buddy texts me and he says he has an extra ticket. And I said, I'll sit with you. Like, I like experiencing that in the crowd for the World Series. As an example, I bought tickets. I bought four seats for uh, each day. I brought someone else like my mom, my dad, my brother, my wife and, and uh, her mom. One, you know, whatever we rotated. But. For all three games, it was, was spent way too much money 
But I just wanted to be in the crowd. Like, I wanted to be a fan and experience it. So for that wild card game, my boy hits me up, and he's like, hey, I got tickets for tonight. I'm like, I'm in. We sat, if you're familiar with Nats Park, so not the Terra Club, like behind the screen where the, you know, the best seats are, but if, like a level above that where there's that indoor club and there's like a patio where you can like sit at tables. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what that's called. So we sat there at, at tables, and our seat was quite literally a table. And I don't know if they do that for every game or they just did it for the playoffs. But, like, we didn't have a seat in the bowl. We were just in that walkway, like, at a table. Okay? So I set it up to tell you I'm sitting there. I'm living and dying with every pitch. I'm high-fiving strangers, like, whatever. Fast forward to the the end of that game, and you're just sure. They're coming up small again offensively. They're not going to get the big hit. They're not going to score the runs they need. They're going to lose to the Brewers. And then Soto delivers the swing herd around the world. And you, you get the Grisham misplay in the outfield. And the runs come home, and they take the lead, and it's the eighth inning. And I'm telling you, Toby, I mean, every Nats fan knows that they remember living this, the, the beer flowing in the outfield and the cups everywhere, and, you know, everyone's getting wet. It's a big shower in, in the center field. You've seen the videos. But I, I'm on the verge of tears. I, it, is, it is bedlam. I am screaming. I mean, this is every Cubs DS loss and, and Dodgers <laughs> loss, like, bleep you to every one of those games right this is just feels so good so i'm running around like crazy and there's this guy i like make eye contact with this guy who's going just as crazy as me like no exaggeration he's just like running around in this little patio area and we just like run to each other and we give each other the biggest hug ever and we're jumping up and down stranger guy i've never met okay this is what sports do by the way He's probably, I thought, you know, as I'm jumping up now, he's probably, I'll just describe him for you. It's like a 40-year-old, like, African-American dude. And we're just, we're in each other's arms, and we're just jumping up and down, screaming in this embrace for, like, 10 seconds, okay? Like, literally, (laughs) we go our separate ways, never to be basically seen again. After the game, I'm watching down on the field as Soto's being interviewed. It's his dad next to him, (laughs) who I was hugging. So think about it. It's like Soto delivers the hit. I think I'm going more nuts than anyone in the ballpark. His dad happens to be in that same area. And just we run up and hug. And so the funniest thing is, I don't know if it was when I was going out to Houston the first time or the second time for the World Series. But soon thereafter, I was in the airport. And as I was catching a flight from D.C. nonstop out to one of those cities, Soto's dad walks up with like his whole family to the, the terminal there. And, like, we make eye contact and, like, point at each other. I'm like, Mr. Soto. And he doesn't know who I am. He just remembers the fat guy at the, the game that he hugged, you know. And uh, luckily he didn't say fat guy I hugged and point at me. <laughs> but he just kind of was like, hey. And uh, and we just we give each other another big hug. Like, it was the coolest. Like, that 2019, man, was so awesome. And, uh, God, the memories and, and just the chills I'm getting thinking about it as they're getting ready to play in Houston. Uh I want him to go to Houston like every few months just to remind me. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, real quick, that that wild card game. So for a little context, I started out in Milwaukee. And so 2019, I was interning at a radio station in Milwaukee. And so I was very familiar with the Brewers. I obviously followed the Nationals, but I was very familiar with what was going on with the Brewers, covering them day in, day out. And I just remember sitting there thinking – I was counting down the outs until Josh Hader entered the ball game. And then they come up with the Soto hit and I didn't realize the nationals had taken the lead. 
I, I did not realize that that was the case. I, I knew they tied the game. And then during the commercial break, after they tagged Soto out in between second and third and Ernie Johnson's nobody in this joint cares. I love that call. But I, I just remember sitting there like, wait a minute. They're three outs away from winning this thing. They're three yeah. outs away from this being done. It, it was such an awesome time. And hopefully this is a, 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 a little short stretch where we have to deal with looking at futures and hoping about prospects and doing all that again hopefully in a couple of years we're right back to that because that was awesome and nothing touches that when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply All right, let's uh, real quick. Let, let's wrap things up this way. Boston loose baseball. Toby Altizer and Grant Paulson with you. So we've looked a lot ahead at the draft in uh, Major League Baseball, which is now well under a month away at the All Star festivities out in Seattle early in July. Uh, I bring that up to tell you that if you are interested in watching the guys that the Nats might draft at number two overall, they are all still playing. This is a very rare, awesome opportunity for you to to really plug in to those players. So uh, LSU, that's Dylan Cruz, who's likely to go one to the Pirates. And Dylan uh, Cruz, if he doesn't go number one, will probably go number two to the Nationals. And Paul Skeens, their ace starting pitcher, who will go number two to the Nationals very likely if Cruz goes one. Uh, LSU plays Tennessee, 7 Eastern on Saturday night on ESPN. Skeens will pitch, Cruz will bat leadoff, and play center field. So check that game out. They're playing Tennessee, I would imagine, that the Vols would throw Chase Dollander, who's a top 10 pick in his own right, who's had a disappointing season coming into the year. There's actually a lot of thought that he was going to be the pick for the Nationals at number two overall behind Cruz, but Skeens has just blown past him as a generational player in this incredible season. Uh, Dollander didn't pitch in the first game of their Super Regional, so I guess it's possible he wouldn't throw, but I think for no other reason than the optics, that would be pretty cool. Uh, Dollander versus Skeens, Tennessee LSU, in game one of the College World Series tourney as those teams get it going. Uh, the other of the players kind of in the conversation for the Nats, although I don't think they're going to take him, I think they should consider Wyatt Langford at number two overall. Big-time power bat, corner outfielder, played a little center field in this Super Regional for the Florida Gators. Uh, Virginia, the Cavaliers, led by catcher Kyle Teal, who's a top-10 pick, playing against uh, Wyatt Langford, the Florida outfielder, who's going to go in the top five. And I think probably going to go either three or four overall. Uh, so if you're interested in UVA baseball or Kyle Teal or just the draft, two top 10 picks, that's a Friday night game at 7 Eastern. So Friday night at 7, you got Wyatt Langford of Florida. Saturday night at 7 Eastern, you've got LSU and Tennessee. There's also a bunch of players in those games and in these tournament games that are options for the Nationals when they pick, you know, 38 picks later at 40 or so. Uh, Oral Roberts plays TCU. Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock. You know, Texas Christian's got a player who I really, really like uh, named Braden Taylor, who MLB Pipeline thinks is the 30th best prospect in the country. You know, I, I think he's going to be gone before the Nats pick, but he would make some sense, I would think, around where they're picking. I also think Jake Geloff, who we talked about last week, who set the record for home runs in his career at Virginia, 
a third baseman who I think will play corner outfield professionally, 21 years old. He could end up being a pick for the Nats in their second selection as well. So if you're into the College World Series, it starts on Friday at 2 o'clock. Oral Roberts, TCU. I would zero in on the UVA-Florida game Friday night at 7 East and on Saturday at 7 East, LSU and Tennessee. And then real quick, I would just mention that the Stanford-Wake Forest game Saturday at 2 o'clock, afternoon game on ESPN. Uh, Rhett Louder, the pitcher for Wake Forest, is a top-10 pick. Has probably been the second-best college pitcher in the country this year behind Paul Skeens. He'll be on the hill in that game against Stanford. So one thing before we uh, get out of here I think is interesting is just hearing some of the you know the, the conversations we have off the podcast and just around the office is you were a Langford ahead of Skeens guy for a little bit, and then it's yes. kind of changed for you. So I, I think that the order for me is Cruz, Skeens, Langford. I could you know be, maybe be swayed if you want to go with the bat there, but I think it's been interesting. You've been much more in tune with college baseball than I have been, and to see the way that you have changed, can you explain why you think Skeens probably is your number two guy at this point? Well, it's it's so complicated. I'm not sure that I would say that he's my number two guy. Uh, I, I am saying the Nats are going to take him at number two, if that makes sense. So, okay, um, it, it is hard. I, I am a bat over arm guy, just kind of point blank, right? Like to, to to sum it up, I think arms break. I think it's 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 so hard with young pitching and the innings and the pitches these guys put on themselves. You just saw. LSU two starts ago, go 125 with, with Paul Skeens, and they'll do it again if they need to in this upcoming game. Uh, that that adds up. Uh, you see what's going on with Cade Cavalli. You, you lost a year of Cade Cavalli's development. You you Then you lose the portion of the next year because you've got to basically treat them with some kid gloves, right? So it's almost like a two-year setback when these guys' arms break. And when you're throwing 100, 102 like Paul Skeens does, I think that's almost inevitable. You know, arms like Verlander and Scherzer are so rare anymore. And, and in today's day and age, I, I can't even think of good examples of guys in this generation, but that, that you know, that, that just never have arm problems. Whereas if you take a bat like a Cruz or a Langford, potentially, let's say it works out, you've already got the risk of will they be as good as I think they are, no matter who you're drafting. It's 14, 15 years where you just plug them in and barring a weird quirky thing where they get hit with a pitch or something that you can't control. You don't have to worry about injuries in the same way to the same extent. So the, the way I would sum it up, Toby is I am like, if, if we do this podcast together for the next 20 years and then that's picking the top three for 20 years, like 17 or 18 times, I'm going to take the bat over the arm at two over, or three overall, whoever that is. If that's a high ceiling high schooler, if that's a college guy with power, I'll probably do that. The difference with Skeens, I guess, is he's just so special. You know, he's he's literally that good where I guess I've just come around to the idea that this is can't miss, that this is so different that even if you have to make a deal with the devil to say, eventually I won't have him for a year and I'm going to have to, you know, treat him uh, with kid gloves the following season. And so for two of the you know potential seven years or whatever, I might lose value in him. He's going to be in the big leagues sometime the year after I draft him. He's going to be an ace probably almost right away. Like, it's so good, and it's so dominant. Guys like Wyatt Langford, for the most part, are in the draft every year. Like, there's there's a guy or two like him most years in college. There hasn't been a guy like Paul Skeens other than Steven Strasburg since Mark Pryor. And I guess that's why I would probably ultimately pick him, and I would go against 
what is my rule, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And also when you think about the Nationals organization, it's been one that's built been built through starting pitching. And right now, if you look, you have some good guys, obviously, in the majors with Gore and Gray. But outside of that, what, you got Cavalli, maybe Jackson Rutledge. I don't know that he is going to be an ace-type guy. And then Cole Henry, we'll see if he sticks as a starter. I, I don't know that he's going to be an ace-type guy. You've got a lot of twos and threes, maybe threes and fours in your organization. You draft a guy like Paul Skeens, uh, an organization that's been built with guys like Scherzer and Strasburg and Gio Gonzalez and Corbin when he was good, like those kind of guys. You get a guy like Skeens, and honestly, I think you can speed up some of your rebuild because you have an ace already in the system working through. So I I get your point, and I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I think that Skeens is a – I'd be thrilled to get him at number two. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be electric almost right away, frankly, uh, for this fan base to start tracking him. And it, it just feels about as can't-miss as it gets. Now, injuries notwithstanding, and – and I talk about injuries, by the way, like, oh, you just have to wait a year and he's back. I mean, there's always the possibility. We've seen guys have multiple injuries and, you know, it it, it could go completely sideways. And that's, I think, the real fear. But uh, knock on wood, you know, he stays as healthy as, you know, a power arm can. And you get a lot of innings out of him. I'll say this, like Steven Strasburg has had nothing but injuries off and on. I would take his career in a heartbeat from yeah. Paul Skeens, right? I mean, so th there is, it's not like if there are injuries, that you can't also get dominance and some greatness as well. Uh, we told you guys last week on Bustin' Loose Baseball, we had not had a comment in a while. We wanted a comment uh, when you rate and review and subscribe. And so I'm looking at Apple Podcasts right now, and there is a new comment. So I got to shout out Drucifer82 here, Drucifer82, who said this week, from firsthand coverage of the burgeoning Nats farm system, the discussion of players and series at the big league level bust and loose baseball is a must listen for Nats fans the hosts are Nats fans too but approach the team with a clear-eyed and refreshing honesty which is very very kind so shout out to D Roots Brady too for that we will shout you out we're not above that if you give us a nice comment yeah appreciate up. it Drucifer that's right so love it rate review subscribe all that podcasty stuff yeah make sure that you uh listen to the podcast and give us a good review or Give us a review. Well, hopefully it's a good review, but give us a review. Only a good review. That would be yes. Uh, <laughs> the rest of you that don't want to give us a good review, you could just go away and, and not listen anymore. That's okay. <laughs> there are other places for you and things you can do. Uh, for Toby, I'm Grant saying so long. Thanks to producer Darius for putting it all together. This has been Bustin' Loose Baseball. We'll be back at it later in the week with a new episode. We'll drop it on Thursday night, I believe, for your Friday consumption. Thanks for listening to BLB. Enjoy Nats baseball.